Hello and welcome to Nitty Gritty Reviews, the movie review podcast that uses a unique grid rating system to discuss a movie's weaknesses and celebrate its strengths. I'm Rachel and my co-host for this mini-episode is Tristan. Hey listeners. So today we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We're going to be talking about the impact on film category of the grid, um, but this one is going to be a little bit more of a general discussion and maybe even a little bit of a debate as to whether or not this category is even uh, important or uh, warranted within the grid. Because uh, typically what happens is I'll rate a movie and Tristan will just use my score, which is perfectly fine, but makes it a little bit difficult to, to give examples and break it down in the way we usually do for these mini episodes. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be an interesting uh deviation from the norm for these episodes and uh yeah i'm looking forward to to talking about impact on film and so uh with that said be sure to keep an eye out for a couple more mini episodes coming there's going to be one more grid related mini episode posting on the same day as this and that's going to be for overall enjoyment slash extra credits and that's going to wrap up the grid explanation mini episodes and then there's going to be another mini episode talking about phases one and two of the Marvel Cinematic Universe to lead us into the season two premiere, which is going to be uh, a Marvel Monday on Monday, January 7th, talking about Captain America Civil War. It's going to be me and Tristan and a special guest, Brian. Uh, so really looking forward to that. There's also going to be an episode uh, with uh, Leon the Professional with a special guest co-host, Dustin from movie and TV throwbacks with D, so I'm, I'm really excited about that one. Um, I'm hoping to get it up before season two officially launches, uh, just because I we recorded it a little while ago and I don't want to sit on it for too lo much longer. I'm really excited to get it out there and um, I'm excited for everyone to hear it. So, so that's coming up soon too. Uh, all right, so now that all of that housekeeping is out of the way, shall we jump into talking about impact on film? Yeah, let's go for it. All right, so this category gets divided up into just three subcategories instead of the usual five, and that's going to be critical impact, audience cult impact, and historical inspirational impact. So the first one, critical impact, is just defined by how well did the critics receive this film, and do they continue to see it in the same light if it is an older movie? So this one is definitely easier to judge for the older movies that are pretty much either critically acclaimed or they're not. Right. Um, something like the easy 10, I guess, would be Citizen Kane, which is, for me, that's that's how I kind of hold things. That's what I hold things up against when I'm thinking right. of a perfect 10, um, which is kind of a weird example because it was not critically acclaimed at the time and almost ruined Orson Welles' career, but that was also because the newspapers were paid to give it bad reviews, so the critics were giving it bad reviews for reasons that had nothing to do with the movie. Yeah. Um, so this is definitely not meant to be a, you know, critics are always right kind of category. It, it can really depend on, first of all, where you're getting the rating, and second of all, how much weight you put to it, I think. So I think this is more of a subjective category than I think uh, you consider it. But yeah, so I consider you know, something like Citizen Kane or Vertigo, uh, which is often ranked higher than Citizen, maybe not often, but it's starting to be ranked higher than Citizen Kane on a lot of lists. I put those two as, as easy examples of something that would get a perfect 10. And then also I consider any IFC top 100 film uh, would be an easy 
easy 10, and then anything on Metacritic's top movie list. Typically for newer movies, um, you know, it's definitely harder because like I said with the Citizen Kane example, critics aren't always right, their motives aren't always right, you know, there's... And there's a lot of different places to, to go when it comes to critical opinion these days. But I typically just go to Metacritic for newer, newer movies and whatever that score is, I'll divide it by 10. Maybe I'll round up a little, maybe I'll round down a little, depending on how I think it's going to be perceived over time. Um, but that's how I go about it for newer movies. Um, yeah, I guess that's about it. Is there anything, anything you want to add for this category? No, I think you said it all. Citizen Kane, that's uh, what I would also rate as one of the highest critical impacts. All right. Is there anything, because I know, like I said at the top, you typically uh, will just take whatever score I find and uh, maybe you'll round up or down because you don't like the fractions, but other than that, you'll, or the decimals, I guess I should say, um, but you don't typically come up with your own score for this. So is there right. anything, any... Um, exceptions, I guess, where you would ignore my score and come up with your own, or are you pretty much always just going to take mine? There was one exception that I can think of, and that was the first Thor movie. And I remember you bumped each one of these categories up quite a bit, but I took the original and maybe rounded up or down a little bit, and then maybe like added a little bit because I think that people misjudged this movie, not just in terms of like the theme or or you know how good of a movie it is. Uh, but that it introduced things that people maybe forgot about, like it introduced characters that people really, really like, but for some reason they don't like the movie. But that's, that's, that's the only one that I really, I wouldn't even say that I disagreed with you. I just gave it, it a slightly different score, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I do think, I know you've often said that, you know, this category, particularly the critical impact, is just taking other people's opinions and applying it to the grid, Yeah. Uh, which you don't like. Um, and I guess we'll get at the end. Well, yeah, I'll save that comment for the end because I do want to get into why I value these categories versus why you do not. Um, but we'll save that for the end. I think the question of the episode kind of ties that all, ties that all in. So never mind. I'll, uh, I'll reel it in for now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that said, uh, should we move on to audience cult impact? Sure. All right. So this one, I think... Uh, Pretty much each one of these three gets, you know, the next one gets a little bit more subjective than the last. Uh, so with the audience cult impact, it's how well did audiences receive this film and does it have a lasting cult following? So again, this is definitely one that's easier to judge for older movies because it's pretty much, you know, is this a cult classic or isn't it? And it's pretty easy to say if it is. So my examples are Rocky Horror Picture Show, of course. So similar to Citizen Kane, that's what I hold as the... The ultimate perfect 10. Does it have a, a following right. like Rocky Horror? That's what I'm going to hold it against. Right. And, the, and The Room would be a close second. Those would both easily get perfect 10s. And, uh, and then Donnie Darko was another example I threw in there. And then I just kind of put etc. Because it's, I mean, really, <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure there's even a, a Wikipedia page that's just a list of cult classic movies. If it's on that list, probably going to get a perfect 10. You know, is, is it a cult classic or not? Um, or maybe not a perfect 10, you know, there's different, different subsets of cult classics, I guess. Like there are some like, a Reefer Madness I'm obsessed with right yeah, now. Yeah, you are. Reefer, although they're actually both cult classics. There's Reefer Madness, the thirties documentary. In which quotes, is, documentary in square, scare quotes. Well, it was considered a documentary at the time, but yeah, it's way it's over propaganda. the top. It's propaganda. Yeah. 
but uh, that does weirdly have a cult following, but that's a very specific audience, and I would right. not give something like that a perfect 10, even though it does have a cult following. And then there's Reefer Madness, the movie musical from 2005, I think, um, which, like I said, I'm weirdly obsessed with because I'm also weirdly obsessed with Kristen Bell right now, so that's that's a thing. But that movie does have, like, a cult following. Not quite as specific as as the documentary from the 30s, but certainly not Rocky Horror. So that would probably get, like, a right. five because it's somewhat obscure, but the people who love it, like me, love it. And even with, you know... Yeah. It's a smaller audience of people who have seen it, and amongst those people, you either love it or hate it. I think it's much too campy for a lot of people, but not yeah. for me. So. And that was, what, 13 years ago? So, well, almost 14 now. Yeah. So that's enough time for it to, to not be like the new hotness that everyone's into. It's, uh, it's, it's aged into that uh, cult impact category. Yeah. And I do think... That's one of those movies where had it been released, like, five years later, I think it would have been, like, an internet sensation. And, like, it would have had a much bigger cult following okay. if it came out at a time when, like, Netflix stream or even Hulu, because it, it was a TV, a made-for-TV movie. It's like a, really? Yeah, it was like a television event. It won <laughs> Emmys. It won Emmys. Wow. So I guess it would get a little bit for critical acclaim, but... Um, uh, yeah, had it been released at a time when, like, Hulu was a thing and people could have rewatched it and it could have been around for more than a night, I think it would have a much bigger cult following. I think it's a little bit of a victim of its time, but that could be me being biased because I love it so much. Sure. Anyway, I'm talking too much about Reefer Madness, um, <laughs> as per you. You got Reefer Madness Madness. <laughs> Accurate. Um... Yeah, so I guess that's about all I have to say for this category. It's definitely, like I said, a little bit more subjective than critical yeah. impacts. Um, and definitely, I mean, even just the, like, how well did audiences receive this film, there's a lot of different ways to even interpret that. You know, is that American audiences specifically? Are we talking worldwide audiences? Are we talking right. network of family and friends? Like, the people that I would watch right. it with? Like, you know, there's a lot of different... Uh, a lot of different ways to take that. Um, a lot of times for newer movies, what I will do, because uh, it's, of course, too new to figure out if it's going to have a cult following, most of the time, every once in a while a movie comes out and you know right away it's going to be a cult classic. Yeah. But most of the time that's not the case. So what I'll do is I'll look at various uh, audience scores and kind of average them together myself to come up with like my own aggregate. And then I'll round up or down, just like I do with the Metacritic score. So the ones I usually go to, Metacritic does have an audience rating in addition to the critic rating. So I'll take that. I'll take the Rotten Tomato audience score. I'll take the, the cinema score, which is like a, a grade rating. So I'll convert that to a number. Um, and then IMDb, which I think is the most valuable of, of all four of those. So if I had to pick one, I would just go with that one. Um, but usually I'll take all four of those or however many are available, average them together, come up with a score out of 10. And, uh, like I said, just like with Metacritic, either round up or round down, depending on uh, what I think the lasting influence is going to be. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of my, my formula, but yeah, yeah this one is definitely more, uh, personal, I guess, or more subjective because like the audience and the cold impact, a lot of that's based on your friends and the, the people you hang out with. So if yeah. you're like super into a specific religion, there's probably members of that religion who really like, you know, a handful of movies. 
That's true, yeah. Uh, or a political party or a yeah. philosophical train of thought or maybe people just really into slasher flicks. and Yeah. Like there's the, the, the classic one that, that people get together and watch every year or few months or whatever. Absolutely, yeah. Do you have any, like, cult movies that you love or that, that your circle of friends at least love? I can think of one, but I want to see if you come up with it first. <laughs> I mean, there's movies that I like. I don't know if any of them are cult classics, though. What were can, you thinking of? I can of? think of two now that are cult classics. What were you thinking of? Idiocracy. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah, for sure. And that one definitely... I mean, it's definitely it's a cult classic in general. That would probably get pretty high if I were... Not a perfect 10, but I would probably give it a 7 or an 8. Particularly... In our current times, it, is, it has gotten even more, uh, not trying to add political commentary or anything, but it's definitely had an increase in its cult following. It's very uh, since prophetic. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I guess I am adding my opinion to it, but yeah, like anyway, um, so Idiocracy would be one and your favorite movie of all time is for sure a cult classic. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Yeah. Okay. That's definitely a cult classic. There you go. It's a little more mainstream than a lot of these other cult classics, but it's definitely, I would say that's a cult classic. All right. All right. Well, that said, is there anything you want to add for audience and cult impact, or should we move on to historical inspirational impact? Well, let's move on. All right. So this one is easily the most subjective of the three, and probably my favorite because I love film history. Uh, So this one I define, it's really a, a hodgepodge of things that can contribute to to this score, but the the explanation that I wrote down is, did this movie inspire other filmmakers, start or significantly contribute to a career or a franchise, significantly contribute to the pop culture zeitgeist, and or have a place in history for some other reason? So it's pretty open-ended. There are a lot of different reasons to give either a high or a low score for this one. Um, That said, some of the examples that I wrote down um, I did Bonnie and Clyde and The Graduate, yeah. both significant for being uh, some early post-code films. Uh, if anyone's interested in The Hayes Code, I am obsessed with it. I think it's fascinating. Uh, but in the late 60s, the code uh, went away and independent filmmakers came out of the woodwork. It was the first generation of filmmakers who went to film school and like studied film as an art form academically. And uh, not that every filmmaker from that era came from film school, but uh, it's just right. the, the things the medium could do and the things people were allowed to say within the medium really changed, and those two movies contributed a lot to that for different reasons. Uh, also, The Wizard of Oz I included on here, obviously for the, okay. the things it did for color. Yeah. And uh, Iron Man for starting the MCU, yeah. one of the most, uh, or the most successful franchise. I think it's the most. Is it more successful than Star Wars? Uh, in terms of like box office numbers or? Or I guess just. I don't know. I guess just profits in general. Probably just because there's so many of them. Yeah. I hear it referred to as the most successful franchise pretty frequently. So I've just been saying that and I just now realized I have never actually looked into that. And I feel like Star Wars. Or Harry Potter. Would be close. Yeah. Harry Potter would probably be close. Well, it's one of... Any of those would, would get yeah. perfect tens in this one, but... Um, and then I also put uh, any Mae West pre-code film. <laughs> <laughs> you know, speaking of the code, she is largely uh, 
credited, I guess, as one of the main factors for its creation. Because <laughs> her movies were so popular, and people didn't like that because they thought she was morally corrupting America. So they created the Hayes Code to censor filmmaking. So even though the code was an awful idea and really hampered film in a lot of ways, uh, that was definitely had an impact on America in general and film specifically. So those would, I think she only had two, it might have been three pre-code films. And then they put a kebab on that. So she still kept making movies and just had to get even more clever with her innuendos to get them to pass through the censors. So (laughs) didn't stop her any, but um, yeah. So those are my examples kind of all over the place as far as um, why they would get a perfect 10. And I could list a whole bunch of other examples because there's a lot of different ways to to take this category and, and to interpret it and, and all that. Um, that said, man, I've just been babbling on and on. What, uh, what do you think about this category? And are there any examples that you can think of? Uh, this one's my favorite of the three because I, I am interested in the history of things, especially if a movie introduces a new technique or a new concept that people hadn't thought about before. Um, but yeah, I just copy what you say usually. <laughs> All right. Well, is there anything else you want to add? No, I can't think of anything. All right. Um, so normally we would give a, a bad example, something that would get bad scores. I didn't come up with a specific example. Uh, I guess before I say what I wrote, did you come up with a specific example? No, that was hard to do because it seems like anything that scored poorly in these three, you wouldn't even remember. Yeah. It would just be lost. Like, yeah. you wouldn't even remember which, it. Which leads into what I wrote which is uh, any movie featured on This Had Oscar Buzz, which is another movie review podcast. Clearly no affiliation or anything like that. But it's a really entertaining podcast, and they talk about movies that were, like, pushed for, like, you know, the Academy Award campaigning, and everyone thought, like, oh, yeah, this is probably going to get nominated for stuff, and then it didn't get nominated for anything, and nobody remembers that they were a thing anymore. Because they just didn't do their job. They didn't, you know, no... I guess maybe critical impact for those would get a little bit because people did seem to take them seriously at the time. They just didn't get nominated for anything. And their main purpose of, like, their whole reason for the movies to exist was to campaign for the Oscars. And then when that Oscar bait didn't lure in the right people, it's, huh. it's washed away. It's gone. Yeah. Um, so that was really the only thing I could come up with. I thought about just looking through the episodes and seeing if anything stood out as one. that, But most of them I haven't seen because... Yeah. Why would you even yeah, watch exactly. them, most of them? Um, so, yeah, that was kind of how I went about answering it. Um, a random plug for a podcast that I have absolutely no affiliation with. But it's a good one, and it's good for, for thinking of these three and how they how they can have an effect on a movie, I think. All right, well, that, that kind of leads us to the, the question of the episode, unless there's anything else you want to add for the, the bad example. Nope. All right, so the question of the week, this I, I feel like is going to be the bulk of this mini episode, although we've really kind of already touched on it, so I'm not sure how much discussion we'll actually have. Uh, but the question of the episode is, how much stock do you put in what other people think about a movie? So I'll let you go first. I put very little, especially if it's just saying that a movie is good or bad. I okay. find that completely useless. Um, okay. I think it's a little more useful if they say that if you like this kind of movie, then you'll probably like this movie. 
or like you do where you say it's it's if movie A and movie B had a baby. Uh, I also think it can be helpful to see, to know if something is like the best example of a certain thing. Like this movie is the best example of Dutch angles or this movie, you know, created a new genre or it's the best in its genre. Yeah. Which I think would fall into these three categories. I think so. Certainly historical, inspirational, if nothing else. Yeah. So I think that can be useful and that can be helpful. But other than that, I really don't care that much. I mean, I have movies that I really like that probably aren't liked by that many people. And there's movies that everyone likes that I don't really see what the big deal is. That's fair. I think for me what it comes down to and why I include this, this category in the grid, I don't think I personally care that much as far as like, is this going to impact my view of the film? A little bit, sure. I mean, if all you hear about a movie is that it's bad and then you go in to see the movie, your expectations are going to be low. I don't care who you are. Like, your expectations are probably going to be low. For most people, it's going to at least lower your expectations a little bit. Or if all you hear are good things, you're probably going to go in, maybe cautiously, but you're probably going to go and be like, maybe this is going to be better than I think, or I hope this is as good as I want it to be, or whatever. Yeah, what do they call that? Anchoring? I think I've heard that term, like where you hear other people's opinion and then that kind of sets your opinion before you've even formed your own opinion. Yeah. So I do think, I mean, in that regard, I think that these, especially critical impact and audience cult impacts, but even historical and inspirational impact for a movie, like an older movie, if I've never seen it, like Taxi Driver, I just watched that for the first time um, and reviewed it on... Uh, moving TV throwbacks with D, so keep an eye out for that. Actually, it's already posted, so you should listen to that. Uh, but that was the first time I had seen it, so yeah, of course I took those expectations of like this is a classic, this is a you know a great movie that people always talk about and right. had a huge impact on film. It's one of those '70s movies, new Hollywood movies um, that I was talking about with you know same same era as Bonnie and Clyde and The Graduate. You know, it was changing cinema, so I definitely took that expectation in with me. I think it it can be hard to escape. So for that reason, I do think it's important to look at these three things because if that's what most people are going in with, I think uh, particularly when it comes to, well, either, either way it swings. If I rate, you know, if I go through the grid and I rate things that are obviously all the other categories are very, very subjective, I, I argue these are too, but less so. Right. You know, so f- subjectively... I'm rating everything really low, but most of America seems to really like this movie. Critics, audiences, everybody. And if it's an older movie on top of that, like if everybody seems to love it and see something that I don't see, even if I disagree, I think that that holds weight. I don't think that should be ignored. I could see that, yeah. And on the flip side, if I absolutely love a movie, but most people don't... I'm not good. That's, I'm not gonna let that change my opinion. I'm not gonna call it a guilty pleasure movie. I'm gonna love it unabashedly because love what you love. But if it's not something that resonates with the majority of people, I don't think I can call it a perfect movie for me. Okay. So this kind of balances things out a little bit. Where just because I really love it doesn't make it a perfect movie. And this kind of this is like a checks and balances thing. I don't want my opinion to sway things too much. I want a little bit of a check and balance. Okay. So I like to check in with what other people are, are thinking. And it's not, I mean, it's 10%. That's right. decent. But then there's also up to 5% of extra credit. So if there's a movie that I love and everybody else hates and this, yeah. you know, impact on film lowers my score, I can just say, 
I'm gonna give this movie five points extra credit because I love it and I think other people should too. I try. <laughs> I don't do that too much. I I don't sure. think I've done that ever. I try to just give max of one point for one thing, but still, you know, you. That's why the extra credit is there, which we'll get into in the next episode. Yeah. Is to kind of balance out, not specifically this, but just uh, to kind of help with the, I guess, the checks and balances and, and keep things as subjective as possible because it is subjective. Of course it's subjective. Yeah. But I think in my mind this gives a little bit of objectivity to it, even though it's other people's objectiveness. Or not even that, it's other people's subjective opinions right. integrating into my score, which I think is well-rounded i guess in in my views i i prefer to at least consider what other people are thinking okay yeah yeah you mentioned um it changing your opinion earlier and it reminded me of uh one of my favorite fiction stories uh animal farm by george orwell and if you read that on its own just as the story that it is it's a pretty good story it's really interesting but then when you learn that it's actually paralleling the russian revolution and that's what it's based on. And he just changed a few names, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, that brings out a whole, new, a whole new way of looking at it and all, a lot more depth. And it becomes even better. And then you realize, like, well, it's not just that one moment in time, that one event. Like, that's how politics works. That's how people works. And this kind of, these themes keep coming up and the whole thing keeps happening over and over. Then you can see it even more. So I can see how viewing a movie on its own you can like it or dislike it or get something out of it. But once you see how other people are looking at it and how other people are thinking at it, it can add a lot more depth to it. Yeah, I like that interpretation. I think that's what you were saying. <laughs> or something along those lines. Something along those lines. That's not quite quite what I was saying, I think, but close enough. I guess I wasn't thinking about, about other people's opinions affecting meaning as much as overall enjoyment, I guess. Which, yeah, which yeah. again, that's something we'll get into in the next episode. But yeah, I think it does absolutely interpret meaning as well. I mean, even something like I, Tanya, you go in with expectations of like, okay, I know something about this person. Yeah. And then you watch the movie and that, you know, what you know about that person and what you remember about the events it's depicting, like, that's also absolutely going to shape your, uh, your opinions and your interpretations of the movie. And I think that's an example of a movie that, that pulled it off really well. As far as keeping things realistic, knowing what people are going to take into it, using that to its advantage, and creating a really compelling story that shouldn't be as compelling as it is, because she's not the most likable person in the world. But, I don't know, now I'm just, I'm not even quite sure what I'm trying to say. (laughs) I I just wanted to talk about Itania for a bit. Uh, all right. Well, is there anything, anything you want to add to that or should we wrap it up? That's all I've got to say about that. All right. So then I'm going to, uh, play us out with a a particularly weird choice of music this week. And that's going to be, uh, some Mae West because, uh, as usually happens this time of year, I'm going through a little bit of a Mae West phase. Yeah. Which is, uh, a really weird mix with the Kristen Bell phase. I don't know, but... I mean, Mae West is amazing. If you don't know anything about her, like, just read her Wikipedia page and you'll be hooked. She is the most fascinating person in the world, even though she's not even alive anymore. Um, lost my notes there. All right, so that's why we're, I'm playing 
uh, Mae West's In the Mood for Love this week in lieu of a film theme song to play. Uh, so that said, thanks so much for listening to this mini Nitty Gritty Reviews episode. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. We're posting another mini episode right after this one, so keep an eye out for that. And uh, like I said before, I'm going to be posting on Monday a mini episode wrapping up uh, or summing up phases one and two of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And season two launches with all new full episodes on January 9th. If you liked what you heard in this episode, be sure to contribute to the conversation. Gritty Films can be found on Twitter, Facebook. Um, actually, not Facebook anymore. I'm getting rid of Facebook for the new year. Gritty Films can be found on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at Gritty Films. And you can also email us at grittyfilms at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what movies would get perfect tens for you and uh, your opinions on impact on film. And if it's a, a valuable category to the grid or if you don't like it still gonna keep it in there it's my grid but i want to hear other people's opinions on on this category because it's a little bit of a uh not a point of contention but uh and most people besides me don't really like it so (laughs) you know i'd love to hear what you think about it and uh yeah thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time Why stop to think of weather? Why stop for anything?